Welcome to Dragon Talk. I am Greg Tito, and this is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, and I'm joined by... Shelly Mazenoble. Hi, Shelly. Great to be here, Greg Tweedo. Oh, man. Is that really my name? Yeah, I'm afraid so. Oh. It was an accidental slip by Bart. You can blame him, but it kind of works for you. All right. All Tweedo. right. I'll own it for a little bit, just a small, All right. small smidgen. Yep. No. Never. No, no, no I'm out. No. I'm out. No. Uh, so we got a lot of fun uh, stuff to talk to you about Dungeons and Dragons today. Yeah, uh, we do. Chris Perkins is in the room. We'll be talking to him about Storm King's Thunder. Uh, and uh, all the wonderful giant terribleness that's happening throughout the Forgotten Realms. And some some fun tidbits, Probably. Some things you might not hear anywhere else about Storm King's Thunder. We'll hear it here, folks. Probably nowhere else. Nowhere else. Exactly. We're going to pull them out of Chris's brain. Like we're mind... Right now. We're mind flayers sucking his memories out. Yes. Yes. Oh, that was a very good mind flayer voice. I like that. (laughs) I have a new voice. You have a new voice. I love it. Step aside, Bert. Before we get yes. to uh, our interview with uh, with Chris, though, I uh, want to give you a few announcements, and then, of course, we have a lore you should know uh, with Chris and Matt that we'll get to. But okay. uh, So Storm King's Thunder, uh, Neverwinter, the expansion, is coming out uh, right about now. You can download it on PC. Neverwinter uh, travels to the frozen north uh, and deals with some frost giants going on there. Uh, it's very exciting. It ups the level level cap uh, and has a whole bunch of new content that dovetails very nicely with things that are going on in Storm King's Thunder. Uh, I'm excited to check that out. Those of you on PC can check it out now. Uh, Xbox folks will be coming very soon, so get your calendars ready for that. <laughs> Clear your calendars. <laughs> Clear your calendars uh, and level up accordingly. Uh, also, of course, you can watch Acquisitions Incorporated, the series, uh, which uh, Chris will give you some more insight into that, but it is a ongoing uh, podcast, video podcast, half-hour episodes leading up to a story that is ancillary to uh, Storm King's Thunder uh, and will culminate at PAX West in theaters nationwide. That's crazy. That's crazy. Acquisitions Incorporated, at PAX West, September 4th, uh, uh, due to Fathom events, we'll be in movie theaters, Three hundred, I think more than 300 movie theaters in cities all over the continental U.S. Go check it out. Get tickets now. You'll be able to watch it with all of your friends uh, on the big screen. Love it. Writ large. You'll see Omen Dron's face will be about 10 feet tall on the movie theater screen. It's going to be amazing. Can't wait. Also... Forced Grade Giant Hunters, uh, Matt Mercer and his crew are going through another story that is also tied in to Storm King's Thunder. Um, it has uh, been a very exciting watching uh, all those crazy comedians do fun stuff. Uh, Chris Hardwick had uh, a, a good time, I think, until until something happened. I won't spoil it, but you should watch it. Go until ahead, binge, something happened. binge all of those episodes, and then Brian Pesane comes in uh, uh, and uh, kind of wrecks the house and makes it really, really fun. So... Go good, check that good out. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I said, it's also a preview for Storm King's Thunder for stuff that's coming in. And uh, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Chris about how he was able to juggle all of these ongoing storylines. you got to love a cohesive story. Exactly. Everywhere you go, you can immerse yourself in giants. I like that. It's almost like it was planned that way. Almost. Except mm. we made it up as we went along. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> oh, my God, you're playing Storm King's Thunder. And you, too? You're and, doing and a giant story? And you guys story? are, too. And Neverwinter? This is nuts. And then when everybody gets the book, they'll be able to do their own story, yep. too. It'll yeah. really be everywhere. I love it. Cool. All right, so we're going to jump to a uh, Lore You Should Know segment and uh, learn a little bit more about stuff you should know uh, about the Forgotten Realms. Okay. Cool. 
Welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by two fantastic gentlemen, Matt Cernet and Chris Perkins. Hello, you guys. Hi. Hi there. And this is our segment where we talk about Forgotten Realms lore to get you thinking about fun stories to run around the table and or just for your own edification. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to delve into the city of Waterdeep. Last week, we talked about... Neverwinter, and of course, uh, uh, those two cities are very closely tied, so you got a bit of a, uh, a, a threads about Waterdeep uh, that we're going to hopefully close up for you today. Uh, so, Matt, what can you tell us about the history of Waterdeep? The oh, my city gosh. of splendors. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> it's so, built on the bones of a lot of old stuff. Yeah, nice. yeah so, so like, uh, Neverwinter... Um, I, I think I mentioned last time that, that it has sort of a, a period of history where we really don't know what the heck was happening. You know, there's, there's a period of like uh, several hundred years where we're like, oh, well, there's a city there, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Waterdeep, basically something's happening uh, at least every decade f- for 1,400 years. <laughs> I mean, it's just so much stuff is going on. Nice. Um, so it like was originally a an elven uh, city, uh, but uh, that was a way long time ago. Mm. And that elven nation went to war with other elven nations, and that's like involved with like the fall of the drow and all kinds of other things. Oh, wow. Okay. And so then they just go away. And eventually some of those um, sort of barbarian-type people, uh, various tribes, warlords or whatever, uh, find this deep port, um, and they start living there. Uh, the wizard known as Hilather, later Halaster, comes and sort of sets up his tower outside of their port. Uh, just, to, just to interrupt you there, is it they called water deep because it's, it's deep water? Deep water harbor, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. I think I kind of always knew that, but it's good to get confirmation. <laughs> yeah, it's on the nose, that name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and so uh, it, it grows over time. And it is, it's, it's part of various uh, wars and there are various attacks by orcs and trolls and, um, you know, there are multiple troll wars, there's uh, multiple orc attacks, there's various leaders and so on. And uh, it really only becomes uh, sort of the, close to the water deep that we know with the introduction of, of this character, um, called Agaron, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, and he's this wizard who um, is convinced to come live near Waterdeep to help defend it uh, because there's all these sort of warlords and they're, they're little... And, uh, and these warlords that are... Li- they're sort of the town itself and the walled town. And then there are warlords who set up their own little villas and, and fortresses outside of the town. And uh, one of those is where Halaster or Halather um, did live, but later he sort of just disappears and so on. So it's just a creepy tower and ruin. Um, but uh, Agaron comes, and um, there's a, basically a problem with the warlords where one of the warlords decides that I'm going to be the ruler in charge, and we're going to go and we're going to take over the rest of this, this area in the north, and we're going to become a superpower in the, of the north. And uh, Agaron says, basically, no, you're not. And when the warlord attacks him, he turns his sword into a viper that strikes him and poisons him. Then Agaron sets the throne on fire, 
and says, don't anybody touch the throne. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be back. And he just like leaves and like, everyone's like, oh, okay. And the throne's just like on fire and the guy's dying and this sword snake's kind of like squirming away. <laughs> and what Agaron does at that point basically is set up most of what we know about Waterdeep today. He sets up the idea of the masked lords, uh, who are these, these sort of hidden uh, rulers and judges of the city. Mm -hmm. He sets up the idea of the open lord himself at that point, the first open lord. Um, later on, he sets up uh, the concept of the guilds and uh, the wards and all of those kinds of things just start to grow around that time. So talk a little bit more about the, the system between behind the mass lords and the open lord. What, why was that set up the way it was set up? So uh, Agaron's whole point was, you know, we, we're going to be a city of peace. And so, you know, the Mass Lords and the Open Lord basically set up a system where uh, you don't know where the levers of power are. You don't know who is the person that you can put pressure on, either um, by trying to convince them or bribe them or um, threaten them. You just don't know really who to, to talk to. And then there's the Open Lord that you do know who, who that is. Um, but they are supported by basically the mass lords who vote things up or down and these kinds of things. Yeah, the open lord is technically one of the mass lords. Mm -hmm. um, the mass lords are the whole body. Um, those who are not the open lord are called the hidden lords because their identities always remain secret, mm -hmm. um, often including to each other. Although they, a few, if you're a smart mass lord, you can sometimes or often figure out who some of the other mass lords are. So when they meet together, they're all wearing masks. Yeah, correct. It's, it's not actually just like a mask. Like there's actually a whole yes, it's a, regalia, it's like a helmet visor, yeah, with a, a mantle and everything else. And so basically, you know, it, it makes everybody look to, to be about the same height. It makes yeah. them all have, sound like they have the same voice. Yeah, all the ma all the uh, visors have basically a magical voice modulator that alters the voice of the person in it. So there's really nothing to identify whether that person's male, female, you know, um, yeah. elf, dwarf. And were these items that were... Created uh, by Agaron, basically. To oh, by him, yeah. okay. Interesting, yeah. so it's that, that old. Yeah, and he, he I mean, he creates a whole bunch of stuff. Um, he's, uh, Waterdeep has a dragon ward, uh, and that is because essentially some adventurer at one point rides a, uh, I think it's a bronze dragon, but I'm not sure, rides a dragon back and flies it on and lands it on the mountain. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't just have even good dragons. We can't just have dragons flying around and landing in the city. That's not cool. And so he sets up the dragon ward of Waterdeep, which basically means within the city boundary, um, there's sort of an antipathy thing where dragons, when they start flying towards the antipathy spell from second edition, mm -hmm. they start feeling sicker and sicker and more and more ill and they, they basically can't get in because they, they would like crash land before they could yeah. get over the walls. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so he, I mean, he sets up all of those things and, and, and all of the, the um, a lot of the magic words and special effects and stuff like that in water <laughs> that are around. Cool. Uh, so then, uh, around what year was that? Like how long ago? This, was that like a thousand years ago or? Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably around a thousand years ago. I'm, okay. not, I'm not exactly sure. I'd have Let's to just look say it up. Hundreds. Hundreds. Ago. Definitely. Okay, hundreds. So not, not, not quite uh, at the beginning of, of measured time, but. Because once you start getting into thousand and plus years, you start like, you're, you're sort of in the the early formative stages of the city and maybe even going back as far as when the Delzoon dwarves first started showing up and digging there because um, Waterdeep has basically Delzoon ruins underneath it as well as Elven ruins. Yeah, so. the, the what are the Delzoon? So it's, a, it's a dwarven kingdom. Dwarven kingdom. Ancient, yeah. ancient dwarven kingdom. 
so the, the, there's the Delzun kingdom, which is a broad kingdom uh, throughout um, a lot of the Underdark and the surface of the north. And then in particular in Waterdeep, there's the uh, Malerkin clan, which is a, sort of the, the, this one dwarf, Malerkin, discovered Mithril under Waterdeep. And so he called all his buddies, and, and they all formed the Malerkin clan and, and started delving underneath Waterdeep. That was many And gave, years gave rise to what is currently Undermountain. Yeah. That was my next question. So yeah, so uh, what is Undermountain, and how does it relate to the city? Well, let's talk about the city geographically to begin with. So it's right on the coast, mm-hmm. um, uh, north of this deep water bay. Yeah, there's the, um, the, the sort of Mount Waterdeep is this giant sort of, uh, it's like 1,400 feet tall, so it's spur. a spur of, of a mountain. Uh, it's kind of a very sharp sort of blade of a mountain right mm-hmm. um, on the... Uh, western side of the city, and the city kind of like creeps up a, a, a plateau on the other side of it because there's actually a drop off on the the uh, eastern side of about like a hundred feet. There's a giant cliff on that side, so it's um, yeah. So it is sort of a raised, elevated city for the most part. It's got walls. It's got gates separating its various wards and districts. On top of that mountain is a fortress, a castle. A, yep, uh, sort of off of a spur of the mountain. There's yeah. the giant castle there and um, so what's the castle that's uh, castle water deep castle water deep on the nose again that's what I thought I I thought (laughs) so but I wanted to make sure yeah so so as the city expanded from the port uh, it swallowed up the ruins of uh, Hilather's or Halaster's tower Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a point at which basically uh, water deep started um, putting its throwing its prisoners down there uh, to to rot it's like a hundred and forty foot deep well that was formed by the the sort of base of the tower sinking down into the earth, and uh, at that same year, um, a couple of guys called Durnan and Mert uh, went down in there voluntarily, apparently, <laughs> and they came back out with just crazy wealth and magical items and stuff like that, and then. Uh, so because of all that wealth that he came out with, Durnan in particular said, you know what, I'm going to put a, put a lid on this. And he put, built his inn around that, that, uh, that well, and that became the Yawning Portal in Waterdeep. I see. And that's actually like right around the center of the city. And so then it was a little, I think even later than that, that the city eventually incorporated what is now the North and Sea Wards, which is where all those noble villas and fortresses were. Um, so to this day, that's where most of the nobles live. There's up in the sea and northwards. Yes, and um, Agaron's tower is up there too. I yes, think. yes, that's right near Mount Waterdeep. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah, so the the well that led down into the earth that Dern and Merp discovered is now to to this day one of the primary ways to gain access to Undermountain, which is a vast. A dungeon complex that seems to descend to unknown depths under the city, and a lot of the upper levels you can see evidence of the the Malerican dwarves' craft and stuff like that. But there are also weird levels um, which look more naturally formed, might have weird passages or connections to the Underdark for sure, and that became sort of the place where Hallister went to ground. Yeah, and he's he he's. Theoretically, still down there, uh, yeah. along with all of his crazy apprentices and stuff like that. So. Interesting. Okay, so he uh, uh, is he uh, uh, immortal? Yeah, probably. Uh, so he has, in th- at least once, been theoretically destroyed and reformed. So yeah. 
So, like, I get the sense from reading a lot of the lore that uh, Undermountain is kind of like this nightmare of Halister's own making. Mm. And when he's down there, uh, he's actually crazy. Like, he's um, he's he's got a lot of screws loose when he's down there, and it drives him mad. And and in a in a not like you know that. What about that wacky old Halaster kind of way? Like, no, no, the dude's really seriously messed up when he's down there. Um, but the thing about it is that every time that you bring him out of the under, under mountain, two things happen. One, he gets sane, and he's even more dangerous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is that all of the sort of structures of magic that, that he's built down there that rely on him being present uh, malfunction or collapse. And so one of the times when he was brought out, there was a group of liches called the Twisted Rune that um, conspired to basically kidnap him and bring him out of Undermountain. Mm. There was earthquakes in the city, crazy magical calamities, monsters running, running amok. Like, and so it's one of those things where, like, Halister is this super evil, terrible thing that you just want to keep bottled up underneath yeah, under He's mountain. a weird stabilizing force for the city in some respects. Yeah, because it keeps all the insanity yeah. down below. Exactly. Yeah. And talk about stabilizing forces in the city. Um, Waterdeep is a very metropolitan place, and it attracts people from all over. It's the largest city in the northern Sword Coast, really the largest city in the sort of the northwest part of Faerun. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, its open lord until recently was Dagalt Never Ember. He was ousted in sort of a political coup, the mass lords didn't want him around anymore because he was funneling money away for his pet projects and not doing a very good job of basically just governing the city. Right. His loyalties were clearly divided, so they punted him out. And he was living hundreds of miles to the yeah. north. He was in, well, he yeah. was in, yeah, he was, in never, mean, he was out of town at the time. It, it, it's not a very ballsy move on the parts of the Mass Lords that they waited <laughs> for this moment, uh, but he is a charismatic force of nature and it's really the only opportunity they had and they seized it. And the, so that left a brief vacuum where they really needed to find a new open lord, and they decided to go with somebody they thought was kind of a safe bet, and that was Lady Laryl Silverhand, who is one of the Seven Sisters, and to the best of everyone's knowledge, an immensely powerful wizard mm. figure, um, kind of on the lines of a Halister or an Agaron. She sort of is in that ballpark, and so that's... Weirdly comforting to the people of Waterdeep to have somebody like yeah. that in charge. She certainly was, uh, in the history of the, the setting, she's been there a long time. She lived there for a very long time when um, Kelvin Blackstaff was um, sort of the, um, well, the Blackstaff. The Archwizard-in-Residence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so she is, was... Is that, sorry, to, but the, is that what the, the, the mantle of Blackstaff means is the... Yeah, it stems from, like, so that's really complicated because basically he comes in uh, and then, like, fakes his own death, then pretends to be his son, and then his son, he actually has yeah. his grandson. Basically, the, yeah. the black staff is the name of the position, <laughs> yeah. of okay. the high wizard of Waterdeep, as well as the actual physical device. There is a black staff that that person holds and wields. Okay, so uh, it's, a, it's like and, a scepter of power. And it is a scepter of power. A lot of the elements that um, Agaron controlled uh, and managed as far as the man uh, the wards and the mantles of, uh, uh, of Waterdeep that um, sort of the magic of it and so on are, That's are controlled by that. 
Um, oh, okay. So it was did 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 uh, Agueras, uh, uh did he create the backstory? No, 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 that was no. that was that was Kelvin. Yeah. Uh, Kelvin do, does a lot of stuff in the setting. Okay, yes. he's, he's, <laughs> he's a, uh, he's a topic on his own. He's definitely <laughs> a lore you should know on your yeah. own. Yeah, on his own. Okay, cool. Um, All right, so back to uh, uh, Silverhand. Uh, you said she was a, a member of the Seven Sisters. What yes. is that? So basically, um, for lack of a better term, they're demigods. Uh, they are the daughters of the goddess of magic, mm. and they were all born about 1,300 years ago, 1,400 years, something like yeah. that. Uh, Suffice and to say, she's had a long and storied 1200? history. Maybe um, she's been an adventurer. She's been a Viking queen. She's yeah. been, like, everything under the sun. This is really her near sort of the sunset, what she considers to be kind of the sunset of her life. Her retirement. She's like, ah, I'm just going to be the open lord. And she was understandably reluctant to take the position at first um, uh, to sort of become embroiled in the complex political structure of this Mm -hmm. long and storied city. But uh, she had some friends sort of push her into it, and she took it. Yeah, And I I like to think of Laryl as, as sort of like, if you'd meet Laryl, it would be like, Meeting, you know, Napoleon, Winston Churchill, and Superman, and you know Caesar, like all at the same time, and this, they've been the same person throughout history, you know. Yeah, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she just drips magic. I mean, she can fly around. She's got these sort of sparkling silver eyes. There's, there's sort of an unnaturalness to her. Um, all right, so that's the current state of of, of Waterdeep politics. Yes. Um, to an extent, there's a lot of stuff we, which is sort of in the secret, and that is that. Uh, with the Sundering, which was sort of a major um, realms event, the gods kind of withdrew from the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Laryl, who was one of Mistra's chosen, um, she sees her that she's realized that her powers are getting weaker and more diminished over time, that she's not as great a force of magic as she once was, but she doesn't want to tell anybody <laughs> because that would be a sign of weakness. Right, yeah. Um, right. And so there's this conflict kind of in her where she's expected to do certain things and knows she can't. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, as a character, she's really interesting because she's um, someone who's been around for so long and been through so many wars and done so many adventures and fought so many amazing things. Like she, she at one point she fought off. I, I think we talked about Slar Slarkrethel uh, in, in in one of the previous podcasts, yeah. and uh, she basically single handedly fought him off at one point um, oh, wow. from someplace in the north, Port Last, I think, where she was the Viking queen at the time. And uh, so she, you know she's just a super super badass and super smart. And so now she's got to play this very careful uh, sort of political game where she doesn't reveal that sort of growing weakness. She's still super powerful. She's still a wizard of, of great strength and, and so yeah, on. Yeah, she's the central character of uh, the recently released Ed Greenwood novel Death Masks. Right. Um, which basically chronicles her first major sort of political challenges um, as open lord of Waterdeep. And uh, she, gets, she does, when pushed to extremes, get to throw down and when the gloves come off, she is a force to be reckoned with. Uh, she, is, she has two close advisors, Elminster, the uh, Archmage of Shadowdale, the mm-hmm. Sage of Shadowdale, uh, and Mert, aforementioned Mert, who was one who of the discovered. first ones to pull the loot out of Undermountain. Yeah. So, uh, and going back to Mert and uh, Durnan, I think both of them are characters that drank potions of longevity, and so they were around yeah. the same for a long time. But I think same. in the case of Mert, Mert was trapped in the magical axe for a while and mm-hmm. uh, was recently released. So he didn't age when he was right, trapped. Right. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. 
All right, so uh, yeah, very complex uh, uh, political system that uh, kind of makes a little bit of sense. I like the idea of, of having the ma- the open lords and the mass lords, and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe. yeah. And there's lots of guilds and nobles in the city. We mentioned uh, one of the th- one of the, well, the reason why uh, Dagalt Never Ember doesn't allow guilds or nobles in Neverwinter is because he had, while he was the open lord of Waterdeep, such a hell of a time (laughs) dealing with them. Uh, He was immensely frustrated by their grasping and their greediness and all that other business. So when he went to basically lay claim to his own city, he said, no more of that. Uh, So yeah, Waterdeep is uh, just absolutely packed full of uh, political stuff. In Storm King's Thunder, mm-hmm. uh, the city sort of is a prominent hub for the adventure. Um, it is threatened when a uh, a cloud giant castle basically parks above the city. Oh, okay. Um, basically drifts over the Sea of Swords and stations itself above the city, and nobody understands why. Uh, and uh, part of the part of one of the things you discover, without giving too much away, is that the cloud giants are looking for something. Mm-hmm. And they know that before humans lived in Waterdeep, before dwarves lived in Waterdeep, even before elves lived in Waterdeep, it was uh, part of, or that site where Waterdeep now stands uh, was a place or part of the ancient giant empire of Astoria. Ah. And the giants have been long removed from this part of the world, but now they're back in force and Waterdeep is sitting, just happens to be sitting in a very significant location. And all of the, the you know, uh, as it's a metropolis, it's got, what, a, more than 100,000, 80,000 denizens? Well, yeah, I don't remember its population count. But, but around I mean, there. It, it, I mean, it, it's basically the size, I mean, if you think about the, the size of the city, it's it's like downtown Seattle in, okay. in its scope. So um, all those those people are looking up at the sky and, and seeing a cloud next. giant castle up yeah. above them, right. uh, imminent threat yes. above. It's it's sort of a herald of things to come. That's frightening, very frightening. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, I can't wait for people to jump into that political morass, uh, 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 adventuresome city of Waterdeep uh, when Storm King Thunder comes out. Cool. All right, well, thanks, guys. I think we actually identified four or five different new Lore You Should Know mm-hmm. topics through the course of that discussion, so uh, uh, great. I, I'm, I love that these are, are branching topics. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. That was a really good Lori Chanel segment, wasn't Always. it? Always. <laughs> so good. Chris, you know a lot of things. And I I'm know really all glad of the things. nobody's ever accused me of that. Yeah, and I love that Matt can give the uh, the history lesson of, of where everything comes from. It's always... Uh, but how does deep. he know? And how do you know? Like, I mean, come on. You know, <laughs> how can you know everything? How do you guys know everything? Do you ever make this stuff up on the fly? And you're like, well, that's canon now. Well, we don't know everything. Not everything. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know where half the utensils in my house are, for instance. <laughs> I have so to, probably I have to, in a box. Possibly, I don't know. I have to give up that brain space to store yeah. D&D data. See what Chris Perkins does for you all? Yeah. yeah. Poor guy. He can't open a eats beer. He eats his soup no. with a fork. Exactly. <laughs> you know who you should call? Ryder and the Paw Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of ours, Chris Perkins, can't find his soup spoon. <laughs> That's the kind of thing. Paw Patrol, to the lookout. Go, Sky. Ryder needs us. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, it's pretty impressive, though. It's amazing. Yeah. The, the amount, the depth of knowledge that yeah, you guys we, have. Yeah, we're walking libraries of yes. practically useless lore. Do you guys ever disagree on things? Like, That's not how it happened. 
Um, we yes, occasionally oh, misremember things. Okay. Or we, uh, we get confused about uh, certain... Th- we ascribe certain traits to uh, one character when it actually belongs to another or something like that. But that's actually pretty rare. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, too, because I think at some point you guys will uh, uh, have... It, you're acting like the Supreme Court in a way where you're interpreting these older texts and yes. be like, oh, this could mean this. And then yes. the other, other judge will be like, well, it could mean that, but it could also mean this. And this is what I always thought it was. And often there's a, a meta level, too. Like, we know what went into creating one of those earlier products, and that helps us determine just how canonical it is. Mm. Uh, like we can we can call into question material that was printed earlier because we know of the way in which that material was created. That's interesting too. Yeah, certain certain old uh, material holds more weight um, just by virtue of it having been created in a certain way or at a certain time. Is that because it was something was created with more care, or was that uh, something that it was could more... be more care, or just more input of the gen- from the general masses? Mm. Um, uh, or it was building on something pre-existing. Yeah. Uh, over when you have a when you have lore that's been created over forty years, you come to realize some people were just pulling stuff out of their butts, <laughs> and other people were actually building on the work of giants. Oh, oh good segue. Yeah, that's why he's a I professional, guess. you guys. <laughs> wow, that was uh, really good. I speaking guess, of giants, yes, yeah, exactly. I guess Chris wants to talk about giants. I know. So, uh, so Storm King's Thunder was an idea that you've had uh, uh, for how long? When do you think you got the germ for for the plot of Storm King's Thunder? Uh, it came to us when we were working on the fifth edition monster manual, and uh, we knew going out with fifth edition we were going to do a dragon story, but down the road. Uh, we believed that giants were so iconic to D&D that we had to do a giant story at some point. And as we were writing the monster manual and we were fleshing out the giant's entry, we picked up some second edition material about this thing called the Ordning, which is a structure that's sort of imposed upon giant society by their gods. And as we were putting that into the book, it occurred to me then that we could do a story built around the Ordning and what might happen if the Ordning were disrupted. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, uh, I love that you poked it out that it was in the, the monster manual. And a lot of the people might mention or notice that a lot of the uh, adventures that we've gone through the last few years, uh, there's seeds that were planted in that monster manual. In fact, uh, any, anybody who has the core rule books basically has the seeds for all the stories we plan to tell going forward. Amazing. Oh. Yeah. Go find it. It's like an ARG. Exactly. Yep. All the clues are there, folks. <laughs> wow. And if you put in the right phone number, there's a recorded message of Chris mm-hmm. telling you all the adventures that will be yep. coming out soon. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. We made specific decisions about things to include, knowing that we would come back to them in a few years. Very cool. So, how how far into the future do you know what the stories that you're we're going to be telling here? Um, well, there's there's sort of different gradients of of that. I have uh, absolute assurance that I know all the stories between now and like three years from now. Mm-hmm. I have other story ideas that we've talked about that will make good stories beyond that, but we haven't necessarily settled on the order in which they'll happen or if they will all happen. Okay. So it gets a little gray after three years. And part of that is deliberate because we often wait as, as long as possible before uh, really committing to a story until we have as much information as we can from the marketplace, from our fans. Uh, mm-hmm. With each story release, we try to pay attention to how it's received right. and then shape future stories based mm-hmm. on that feedback. 
So, so in some respects, it doesn't pay to get too far ahead. Right. Yeah, because we have to be a little bit fluid and be yeah, able to, exactly. to adapt to. And to things happen. Uh, in the uh, movies come out. Uh, other properties do things right. that we weren't expecting, and we can either leverage that or steer ourselves away from that, depending on what is what we think is preferable. Exactly. Are there any elements of Storm King's Thunder or the storyline in general that shifted because of what you were perceiving from the community? Uh, with this story in particular. Um, no, uh, the, the, well, actually, that's a lie. We made a decision about the structure of the adventure based on uh, the adventures that had come out previously. Uh, uh, Curse of Strahd you, and uh, Out of the Abyss were very sandboxy, mm-hmm. um, which meant that basically DMs, we gave DMs a bunch of stuff in those books that they could plunder and kind of mess with on their own. Um, uh, and uh, because that particular element was well received with Storm King's Thunder, we made sure to add some more kind of sandboxy elements. There's also something uh, in earlier adventures, uh, sort of a randomization, or not a randomization element, but uh, the idea that each time you play the adventure, you can have a slightly different experience. With Curse of Strahd, for instance, the Taraka cards mm-hmm. helped kind of shape a lot of what happens in the adventure. Uh, with Cur- with uh, Storm King's Thunder, uh, the way it's set up and the way it's structured, it's very modular. Uh, so um, one group can have a very different experience from the next. It's almost like a like a branching exactly there, tree. Yeah, there's it's not a linear story. It is very much like a, a tree. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. So for people who uh, uh, would like to learn more uh, about this adventure, basically, what's the, what's the, what's the hook? We talked about the ordning and how that uh, figures in, but what is exactly what will players be confronted with when they first uh, open the book and or their dungeon master? Give some of the, uh, the right. overview. So uh, Storm King's Thunder is a product aimed at the Dungeon Master. Uh, it contains material for the Dungeon Master's eyes only. Uh, a lot of adventure material, but also because of the nature of the story, a lot of world lore. Um, in fact, the biggest chapter or section of the book is just dedicated to fleshing out the north, mm. uh, this vast area of Faerun, uh, giving... Uh, an enormous amount of detail about a lot of specific places in the north because in this story, the characters uh, who could start off as first level characters or they could start off higher than that um, are confronted with the giant's threat head on. And there are different introductions that the DM can choose from. Uh, One of them is uh, the characters come to this small town that has just suffered a giant attack. Mm. And so they're trying to figure out what happened, and uh, there's a little bit of a mystery to solve, and also this uh, horrible fear that they might not be high enough in level or up to the challenge to deal with this problem that they're now confronted with. Uh, if you're a fan of the D&D starter game, and you run that first, you can segue from that into Storm King's Thunder. Uh, at the end of the starter game, you're fifth level. And Storm King's Thunder also has a fifth level starting point mm. for characters oh, that come off. I'd like to say that was planned. Yeah, that was totally planned. Wow, nice. very Absolutely nice. planned. Um, and it's something that the, the fans actually uh, asked for. Oh, cool. So that's in there too. Um, and if you, if you go with that, uh, there's a different, uh, there's one of three different starting points, um, places in the north that are being threatened by giants of different types. And these are fully fleshed out locations. Um, one is Bryn Shander in Icewind Dale. One is the town of Tribor, a sort of uh, 
almost Wild West trade hub in the middle of the Dasaran Valley. Mm-hmm. And then the third location is a place called Golden Fields, which is a, uh, a temple farm complex. It's like a big, uh, multi-acred, walled farming complex uh, ruled over by the Emerald Enclave and by clerics of Chantea, um, this sort of nature goddess. And all three of these places are being threatened by different giants. And those leaping off points lead you into a greater story, which takes you all across the north. Um, You go as far north as the Sea of Moving Ice and Icewind Dale, as far east as the Anorak Desert, and way out into the trackless sea, uh, for underwater adventuring. Um, you go to Waterdeep, you go to other cities of the north, and you go to sort of other far-flung locations in the spine of the world and in the Grey Peak Mountains. Uh, and uh, the adventure deals with how you get from place to place and how you tra- travel these great distances. And it gives you the sense that what the, gi- what the giants are doing has great, far-reaching consequences. Um, if you don't take any actions whatsoever. <coughs> One of the vibes we were going for is sort of a, um, a Walking Dead vibe, ah, where you feel like uh, it's almost, I wouldn't want to say totally apocalyptic, but you're just low-level guys trying to deal with this threat, and it's just so overwhelming. And then the real thrust of the story is surviving long enough and gaining enough levels that you can finally kind of stare the giants eye to eye right. and be tough enough uh, that you can uh, basically put them down or, uh, if you're really smart, form alliances with them. Right. Because so, not all the giants in the story are evil. I was just going to say, yeah, so the storm king, uh, giants uh, are at, were at the top of the ordning and That's right. uh, uh, kept the lower types in line uh, yeah, uh, at least did. so they didn't hurt the, the small folks. So what's, what's happening there? Why are they no longer doing that? Um, so with the ordning shattered, uh, a lot of headstrong giants are out eager to prove to the gods that they should be risen to the top of a new ordning. And so they've gone off and do their thing. The thing that's um, keeping the storm giants out of all this is they've got some political turmoil. Uh, evil forces are basically fomenting uh, this chaos within the storm giant court. A, a powerful storm giant named King Hecaton has disappeared. His three daughters are vying for control of his throne. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the storm giants are so distracted that these other evil giants are going out into the world and doing their bad stuff, and they're not really paying attention. Um, and there's also, I think, a certain measure of arrogance with the storm giants that, you know, these other giants couldn't possibly succeed. And that is, uh, uh, I think you've, you've hinted at a couple of panels and, and on Twitter a few times that that was a, a King Lear uh, kind of reference. Yeah, certainly, certainly the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the widower dad dealing with uh, three um, very powerfully minded daughters was uh, a riff on King Lear. Uh, we've taken some liberties beyond that, too. Uh, and uh, just so people who haven't read the play think they know what's going on. <laughs> There's no Regan character marrying Cornwall well, and uh, I, blinding I, I'm not, people. I'm not spoiling things by saying that if the, the characters are going to be put into the choice of figuring out which daughter they want to support. Mm. And if they make the wrong choice, it could have grave consequences, not only for them, but also for the realms. What? Yeah. Yep. Don't go for the Choose evil ones. wisely. Right. 
Um, but uh, they also realize in the course of the story that there is a threat uh, above and beyond the giants that is actually um, behind the scenes trying to manipulate and, uh, the giants into starting a war with the small folk. Because mm. the giants are just doing whatever they have to do to, get the, to basically elevate themselves in the ordning. That doesn't by itself, that doesn't necessarily put them into conflict with humans, dwarves, and elves. But there is an agent in the story uh, an, an evil force, uh, which I won't really divulge, uh, who is actively using this situation to foment war. And it's all because of something that happened in an earlier story. Oh, interesting. An uh, earlier story. That's right. One like of the a, stories we've already told. Like a recent earlier story? I, I won't say. Come on. <laughs> Well, I like that idea because that, we've we've uh, uh, talked a lot about uh, you know the idea of a continuing story yes. in the Forgotten yeah. Realms right. and how the adventures are interlocking. Yeah, exactly. And if you if you exclude Curse of Strahd, uh, you know then it's either going to be Out of the Abyss, Princes of the Apocalypse, or the Tyranny of Dragons story. Okay. But one of those stories, the consequences of that story directly impacts Storm King's Thunder. Wow. wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that, uh, you know, in the future adventures, that whatever happens in Storm King's Thunder is going to affect uh, uh, future adventures? Uh, yes, it very well might. Um, now, the Storm King's Thunder, the, the way it's written, is it's sort of got an open-ended conclusion. Oh. Uh, there, is a, there is sort of a final climactic, there are final climactic scenes, but we don't prescribe at the end of the adventure how things finally shake down. That depends on the individual campaigns. Right. But in a future story, based on how many, you know, based on the experiences of those groups who actually go through Storm King's Thunder, we may make some assumptions about what happened and shape future stories accordingly. Now, how does that, uh, yeah, so so every, obviously whatever happens at the ta everyone's table yeah. is kind of canon for that table. Exactly. But Everybody's home campaign is their own canon. Yeah. But, but we, then, may, we may decide um, down the road that, uh, you know, was the ordning reestablished or was it not? Is there still no ordning? That's a possibility. Mm. At the end of this story, you may still have evil giants doing their evil things in the world. And that's cool. That but I cool. could see how that would impact future yes, stories. Yes, right. Okay. Absolutely. I like that. I do yes. too. Yes. So tell us what goes into creating. And actually, now that you mention it, yeah. yeah, there will be there will be things that you find in Storm King's Thunder that will definitely appear in future stories. Because I'm writing a future story right now, and I just <laughs> thought of something that yeah that comes out of Storm King's Thunder. And by by thing, I think you, I know what you mean mm -hmm. there. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so it's what's a the process? For writing the the stories, and like what what do you do here? You go okay. get an idea, and then right. what happens? So once um, uh, basically, when we get an idea for a story, and by we I really mean uh, me and the story team, which is a small group mm -hmm. that includes uh, Adam Lee and Richard Witters, uh, we go to uh, Mike Merles, and we kind of pitch it to him. He's like our first check, and if he really likes it. Uh, then we do. Uh, then I write what is basically called a story one sheet. It is a summary of what the story is that fits on one piece of paper okay. that can be handed to anybody in the company, and gives them basically the thrust of the story. And the idea of the one sheet is I show it to different people in the company, and if they all get excited about it, that's a good sign that mm -hmm. we should proceed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that goes up the chain. Even our executive team looks at that one sheet, and that's what they use 
to basically give the thumbs up or thumbs down, will we proceed with this story going forward? Right. Assuming that that one sheet um, gets the buy off and people love it, then what happens is I take that one sheet and I use it as the foundation for a internal document called a design guide. And the design guide can be as long as I need it to be. But it basically is all of the crunchy detail. Everything that happens in the story, all of the characters who appear in the story, all of the monsters that we're using, all the villains, and all the conflicts, basically laid out in a document, uh, which is then um, art is added to it to illustrate all of these uh, characters and um, key moments and key scenes and stuff like that. Is this all new art that goes into the design? Uh, it, it usually is mostly, if not all, new art. And then uh, that design guide then serves as a tool that we can give to partners mm -hmm. who are teaming up with us to tell the story. And it might be WizKids, or it might be the guys at Cryptic doing Neverwinter expansions, or right. any one of our partners. And they, they now have all the story beats. They know the scope of the story, and they know all the elements that we're introducing that are new to the story. And they can use it to create their own things like miniatures and models for 3D figures and things like that. Um, at the same time, that design guide is also an internal document for us to sit down with our writers and actually begin creating the TRPG content. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of that material in the design guide will then go straight into the TRPG. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a new monster, for instance, boom, right into the TRPG. Right. Uh, it is also used to create another internal document, which we call the story guide or the story Bible. Yes. And what it is, it's a sexified, slimmed down version of the design <laughs> guide. It's kind of like a slick kind of coffee table style book with a lot of action art and scenes. And that's mainly intended to be, uh, and it's very thin. It usually includes just the key story beats um, with our best art. And that's kind of used as a more slick, uh, selling thing that we can share with some of our uh, other partners like Warner Brothers mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, where we don't want to burden them with a lot of statistics and detail stuff we just want to give them the high level pitch they want right. the slick they want the slick yeah. sexy elevator pitch style yeah. um, so that's what <laughs> everyone's so Hollywood, Hollywood. Yeah. Right. and so basically <laughs> my job as the um, senior uh, principal designer for D&D is to create these initial documents that drive our the enthusiasm of our partners and our internal folks and also drive the all expressions of that story across all of our entertainment platforms. And then once that's done, I move to the actual helping to create the TRPG product. In the case of Storm King's Thunder, mm -hmm. I was the writer. Um, for that product. Curse of Strahd, too, right? Uh, yes, uh, yeah. I remember. Last like, year was a you, very, very busy year. You came home, <laughs> like, we came back from, like, winter break or something, and you were like, I wrote yes. a book. Yes. <laughs> I wrote, so I wrote. <laughs> what did you do on your vacation? Um, I, I took uh, an extra two weeks off in December, and over a three-week period wrote the first draft for Curse of Strahd. And then, as one does, yeah. and then I weeks. turned that, and that was a 256-page book. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, yeah. I had some material from the old Ravenloft product to help me there. That's I, right. It had to be updated, but it, you know, I wasn't starting from pure scratch. And if you guys want to learn more about that, we talked to yeah. Chris and Tracy uh, in the spring about uh, about what went into building yes. that. And then, as soon as that was turned over, uh, when I got back from break. I uh, gave that to the editor, Kim Mohan, to look at because I knew he was going to be working on it. And, and he then, said, I have no changes. 
<laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. Said, That's what editors do, right? So like, I have many Chris, changes. For Chris Perkins. Here, here, is, here is your uh, litany of changes. Yeah, it's and a more said, red than black. You fool, you don't get me, and you um, threw it at him. Uh, no, at, we had a, uh, Kim and I have a, tr- a tremendous collaborative uh, relationship. We've worked on many, many products together, so it's so easy. Mental and note, don't work with Shelly as an author, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah our yes. stories. Yeah, yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, chasing you down for magazine articles. Um, and... Uh, I think it was like two weeks or three weeks after I turned over Curse of Strahd was when um, I immediately started doing the one sheet for Storm King's Thunder and then just jumped uh, about a month later into the actual writing of Storm King's Thunder, uh, which was very painful because it's very hard to write two 256-page books in a four- or five-month period. Yeah, especially ones so different as these, yes. which is, uh, you know, the um, gothic and, horror of and, Strahd. And I was a bit of a an idiot on Storm King's Thunder because um, I had, I, it's a very grand story. Storm King's Thunder is a big story. It had to be because we were dealing with giants and we had committed early to have all six giant types figure prominently mm-hmm. in the story. And so I let, I let my idea the, the bigness of the idea sort of get the better of me um, because I realized as I was writing that I've got six different giant villains with their own lairs doing their own plots in their own parts of the realms, mm. which the characters are going to have to travel to. So you have to flesh out the intermediary areas between like Waterdeep and the Great Peak Mountains and Waterdeep and the Spine of the World because the characters are actually going to be either traveling over land or using one of the other methods in the adventure to traverse these thousand-mile gaps in geography. Uh, so I realized right off the bat that suddenly a big part of this product was going to be a gazetteer. Right. Um, so that it, it, in addition to all the adventure content which includes not only the story summary and the uh, and three towns that come under attack, mm-hmm. and actually four towns that come under attack, fully fleshed out towns. Yeah. Um, there are six giant lairs. There is a seventh lair that I'm not going to go into, but it's very, very important and forms the climax of the adventure. Right. Uh, and then there's this massive gazetteer describing all these locations in the north. And by all of them, I mean like hundreds of different locations uh, from Everland to Silvery Moon to Mirabar to Luskin to... Now, some of these places we touched on in um, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Yeah. So I had some material to work from. But a lot of these places we hadn't written about in years. Right, in this edition. I right. Guess, yeah. So the research became this huge, daunting thing that had to happen in the middle of the writing process. Um, and so I, I raided our library and I, I like took a week off just to pour over all of these books from the old Volo's Guides to the Giant Craft book for second edition to the old Savage Frontier module um, from first edition uh, uh, to all sorts of obscure products that, that detailed giants and other creatures I knew would be important over the years. And then um, had to read all that material and then sum- summarize it uh, to make it fit into the page count of the book. Don't you have 
minions? Don't, I mean, don't you have people who can help you with this? <laughs> it was all on Chris's giant shoulders. He's I have a collection describing of, yeah. it. I can like, I'm picturing like a music montage in a movie of like Chris like pouring over the books and like pulling more tomes, <laughs> blowing the dust off. That's how it felt. That's Drinking I, potions. Yes, it and, felt, and, it your, felt po- I was and your little a, dog just yes. sitting there like. Oh more. yeah, and, and on top of that, I had a fairly new dog at the time um, who who was depending on me uh, to give him as much attention as possible. Uh, so uh, it was yeah. that part of the book was daunting just simply because of the research involved. Um, and then after that, after all that work was done, uh, you had to come up with a, a story that was close to Storm King's Thunder, but that didn't give anything away for two video series. Uh, one of which was yes. Acquisitions Incorporated. Right. Did the you series. write those ad- adventures too? That they're playing through. So um, with the the two that we're referring to is uh, the 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 new Acquisitions Incorporated the series, which is uh, being run as weekly episodic podcasts, uh, which we videotaped over a period of two days in Mike Failauer's basement because oh he has gosh. he has an amazing game room. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and at the same time, uh, our, our marketing folks were uh, wrangling the cats to get Force Gray Giant Hunters happening. And by the which marketing was, folk, you mean Tweedo. Yeah, Greg Tweedo. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Oh, no, this is starting. <laughs> there was so a lot of cats, a, a thing. and they run very um, fast. And as soon as, it was, uh, as soon as we were able to bring Matt Mercer into DM Force Gray Giant Hunters, uh, someone, some genius, somebody smarter than me, <laughs> came up with the idea of bringing Matt into Wizards so that he and I could coordinate the stories. Now, I had already come up with the story for oh, yeah. okay. Acquisitions Incorporated, the series at that time. Um, now, the story that happens in Acquisitions Incorporated, the series, I can briefly summarize as this. The heroes of Acquisitions Incorporated are trying to track down the pieces of the Rod of Seven Parts. And they're not exactly sure why. But the rod, they discover that the rod is somehow tied into the giant's story. And, um, and of course, I know what the outcome is going to be. <laughs> and I also knew at the time that this adventure that they're going on was going to end or culminate with a big throwdown at Pax West. Oh, nice. That Pax yep. West was basically going to be the cap on the stone for this story. Um, involving the Rod of Seven Parts. Um, so I came up with that, the Rod of Seven Parts hook, specifically for the Acquisitions Incorporated, the series. And then when we brought Matt Mercer in and I walked him through what the Acquisitions Incorporated story was and what happens, um, because it was filmed by the time I spoke to Matt. Right, that knew. was basically in the bag. Yeah. Um, I walked him through everything that happens and after you know, he, he, picked, up his, he picked his jaw up off the floor, <laughs> Uh, we sat down and we figured out, okay, how do we then tell another story happening at the same time, also involving giants and the Rod of Seven Parts? And we hit upon this idea of, well, we got another group of adventurers, uh, uh, prospects for uh, future Force Grey. And for those who don't know, Force Grey came out of old, old, old Forgotten Realms lore. They were a group of adventurers who had sworn to defend Waterdeep. But like many adventurers, 
uh, or party adventurers, they were utterly reckless and had an utter disregard for law, which meant that they often created more damage than they actually prevented. And so they Ugh. were basically phantom zoned. They were toddlers. Yeah. Um, away. Yeah. We covered them in a, uh, uh, a Laurie Should Know, exactly. one of the ones without, without Chris Burke. And right. it was Adam oh. Lee because he uh, yep. had created, uh, helped create some of the new characters for, exactly. for the show. And one of the members of Force Grey, Harshnag, is in Storm King's Thunder. That's right. He's, one of the original one members. Of the ones, he wasn't phantom zoned. Oh, huh. cool. Yeah, because he's a frost giant. Um, but I digress. Yes. Uh, so this party of adventures that Matt was going to lead through, uh, played by all these amazing celebrities, uh, they're sort of a new Force Grey, um, born out of a new Waterdeep. Uh, there's a new Blackstaff, a new sort of uh, high wizard of Waterdeep who has uh, created this new Force Grey, and these guys are fledgling members, potentially. And so we came up with this idea of they're looking for other parts of the rod, basically. And they're running into other threats and other things um, and uh, using the rod of seven parts is kind of the tie between the two groups. It's as simple as that. Okay. A very simple gimmick. And also having them both thematically related to giants. I also love the idea how, I mean, because the rod of seven parts was originally a Greyhawk it idea. It was, yes. And it's, it's got all of this lore associated with it, and it's, it's sort of bizarre. It was this... No, uh, this could be a lore you should know. I know. I was just thinking we should. Um, do but that basically, soon. in short, uh, it used to be a weapon of pure law and order, and it was created to basically smack down some demons. Um, <laughs> but it was it was shattered in in smacking down this particularly powerful demon named Miska the Wolf Spider. It broke into all these pieces. Um, seven. Seven pieces. And then over time has been scattered, reassembled, scattered again. Uh, but a piece of Miska the Wolf Spider's essence got trapped in the rod. And demons are beings of chaos. Yeah. And this is a rod of law. And so anytime somebody tries to reassemble the rod, that little fragment of Miska's personality mm -hmm. screws it up. Um, that bit of chaos causes the rod to sort of scatter again. And so it's not, on, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that this rod can actually get sort of blasted or transported to different worlds. And in this story, we assume that now it's landed in the Forgotten Realms and its pieces are being collected again. For what purpose? We will find out at PAX West. Okay, so... <gasps> oh, wow. So the, that was the all rod, a great preview for PAX it was, West. It's so good. Yeah. But the rod, was the rod already in Storm King's Thunder story or did you put it in there for the Acquisitions Inc. thing. So the rod is in Acquisitions Inc. and Force Gray. It is not. It's not in, in Storm okay. King's so Thunder. Okay, so you you could like went through your yeah. little So in Storm King's <laughs> Thunder, we as I mentioned earlier, there are uh, several giant villains and they've all got their own plots. And they're all fully detailed, and some of them are just crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, because giants uh, are always overreaching. So all of the giant villains have plots that are so big, they're just sort of beyond their grasp of being able to complete. But that doesn't make them any less dangerous. In fact, it makes them more dangerous mm. um, because they get desperate and they're competing with one another. So, but in the adventure Storm King's Thunder, we also have this uh, wonderful little sidebar that says, these aren't the only giants doing bad stuff. There are other giants also doing bad things. And here's some of the bad things that they can be doing as well. And hmm. this, um, in Pax West, you'll see there is another giant villain who we haven't seen before doing another bad thing, just like all of the other giant right. villains in Storm King's Thunder. I love that you put those things. that sidebar in there as hooks for, for yes. DMs if they wanted to, could yes. flesh out the story more, Absolutely. have it be longer, and then you... Yes. As you're like, oh gosh, I gotta come up with more stories, and you're like, right. wait, I already did that. There's stories already in here that we right. can we can use. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. awesome. And then people. Uh, uh, 
on September 4th, uh, during PAX West, you know, usually only people within the uh, Benaroya Hall can watch it live, but now with all of your friends, you can go to movie theaters across the country, uh, thanks to Fathom Events. There's more than 300 movie theaters across We've the United States that you, can, cool. uh, that you can watch uh, Acquisitions Incorporated play out in real time. Yeah. Eat your popcorn. You're going to be in movie theaters, Chris Perkins. I'm going to be in movie theaters. You're a movie theater. Don't you tall. wish you could be in like, all would... these different locations and just like see yourself in a, on a movie screen? No. Come on. Come on. It'll no. be live. So you, I know do you, you can get doppelgangers to go do that. Do you ever rewatch your, your shows? Only when I have to. Why do you um, have to? Because I never remember what happens. Oh, okay. Do you know um, that Shelly uh, doesn't listen to her own I podcast? I thought we weren't going to ever admit that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about so that. It doesn't, it doesn't particularly bother me to watch I can't stand his voice. That's it's just, honestly, <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too busy. Um, but if I, know, I, ha- if I have to go back and try to remember something that I've forgotten from a few years ago, I have to go back and watch them again, or at least parts of them. Interesting. Something the fact that you have to take off, take vacation to work, Proves that yeah you're a little bit busy a little bit a little bit. yeah a little bit busy a little bit, a little bit busy mm-hmm. so anyway this TRPG I think, I think I sidetracked when you were talking about how you actually write the TRPG but seriously don't you have isn't there other people who can help you write these things or like so sometimes sometimes on a TRPG product we we team up with either other companies yeah. or or freelancers um, this was a case where I. This is a case where I, I figured I could just tackle it myself. I just come off of Curse oh, of Strahd. Oh, it's just easier for me to do it myself. Precisely. Um, <laughs> no, I just come off of Curse of Strahd, and that didn't kill me. Um, in fact, that was a joyous experience. It was one of the most pleasant writing experiences I've ever had, and it was very, very easy. So I thought, well, that was easy. <laughs> I, so can do, I can do it again. I can just do it again. And no. <laughs> no, I had so many walls in Storm King's Thunder that about three-quarters of the way through, I was kicking myself for not bringing in somebody else. But at that point, it's too late. Yeah, you were committed. I was committed. Um, now, I d- actually, that's not entirely true. I did, um, to help me out, I did tap uh, a freelancer that I'd worked with on a number of times to help me with the maps. Okay. So I wasn't prepared to give up the writing. Okay. But the maps, which is something I normally enjoy doing. Yeah. I realized I would not be able to do justice to the maps unless I brought in somebody to help. And so uh, there's this wonderful collaborator, a freelancer named Will Doyle. Um, his, Shout out to Will. Yep. His Twitter hey, handle is Beholder Pie. Oh, yummy. And uh, <laughs> uh, he had done uh, some work for me uh, back when I was editing Dungeon Magazine. And I was always impressed with the style of his maps and the amount of effort and devotion he put into them. Because if you know me, I'm very, very, very anal meticulous. and meticulous when it comes to map creation. Uh, and he has those same qualities. So I told him. I did, he didn't design all the maps, but he designed many of them, including many of the giant lairs. And I told him exactly what I wanted in the lair. Like uh, for the, the frost giant lair, for instance, I told him it was built on top of this iceberg and it had all these titanic lodges sort of arranged in a ring with this hollow uh, sort of carved out lagoon in the middle. Um, and he basically gave me back exactly what I asked for. Nice. Wow. So that helped me enormously yeah. because map, map making is time consuming. And I, I could just turn those maps over to our art director, Kate, and she could just go with it. That's amazing. All right, that's cool. Do you like collaborating? Be honest. I do. Um, but uh, I, like, I like to collaborate with the best. Who would be your dream collaborator? Anyone in the world. Oh, gosh. Just assume that they're going to say yes. Who would you Well, uh, I would have to know first whether or not 
they they're actually up to the challenge. Pretend they are. Because you know, uh, writing, particularly writing RPG adventures, I mean, it's a niche within a niche. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't just you can't expect necessarily a novelist to be able to write a good RPG adventure because you're kind of writing an adventure without the characters, without the protagonists. Right, yeah. it's like taking a novelist and being like, here, write the movie version. It's just that yeah. easy, right? Write the movie but, version, but you don't get to actually write anything about the hero. Yeah, um, and it all has to be dialogue. Just, the, and, just yeah. the villains and the locations, and you have to design the adventure to account for all of these yeah, possibilities. Yeah, all the possibilities. If the characters do this instead of this, if they take this boat instead of that ship, you know, that kind of thing. Or if they... It, it, it's it's really a special style, and there aren't actually a ton of people in the world outside of our hobby who have any experience doing that. Um, if you want to know my answer to your question, though, the person yes. on the writing side with whom I have enjoyed the probably the greatest collaboration is Tracy Hickman. Oh. Um, prior to working on Curse of Strahd with him, and he helped us mostly in the idea department there. Um, uh, I didn't task him with any writing chores as I was doing Curse of Strahd, but he gave us so much material mm. that it was very easy for me to elaborate upon it. But I had worked with him years earlier on a dungeon adventure called Anvil of Time, which was a Dragonlance adventure. Uh, and that collaboration was amazing and stuck with me. And Tracy has great adventure design instincts. Uh, like the best adventure design instincts, and his maps are also pretty damn awesome. <laughs> he created the uh, the original nice. three four yeah. map. Well, for uh, he didn't he didn't render it in three D. He created the original maps, and David Sutherland, the artist, rendered it in three D. But when I was working with him on Anvil of Time, Tracy did these wonderful digital maps that Ooh. I pretty much used as is. I did not contract them to a contractor. Yeah. Uh, oh wow. Yeah, he basically did that work. Uh, so he he's very he's got a great sense of architecture and um, how you can bend architecture for uh, a fantasy experience to create a location that is memorable and challenging. Uh, it's um, it's a tough skill, and couple that with the fact that he can write adventure content really well. And right. He's, he's just a, and he's and also professional. Ways. Yeah, well, uh, he turns over his stuff on time, which is oh, well, also that's important. Huge. That's like ninety five percent of, of, of contracting and it freelancing. Is. And and uh, a lot of brilliant people fall down on their faces because they can't hit a deadline, and that's just death in this industry because everybody else is depending on them yeah. to turn over their things work. move at a, such a, yes. a, a, a now, programmed so schedule. Storm King's that. Thunder was basically written by me with map design by uh, helped out hugely by Will Doyle and a future story uh, which I can't talk about we actually have uh, freelance writers uh, uh, coming in and helping me. Oh good. So I'm learning. Good for you. <laughs> Getting better yes. at it time yeah. after time. Exactly. Yeah. Very exciting. So, is there anything uh, uh, special about Storm King Thunder that we haven't mentioned that uh, you think, I think would it's be worth a nice mentioning? Um, that, uh, th as I said earlier, this is a DM-focused product. People might be wondering if we've got new player options in the book. Uh, we don't, uh, because we assume we gave people a bunch of player new player options in um, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and we expect people to leverage that material. Uh, there are lots of backgrounds there, new class options, new spells. Uh, we basically say, use that book uh, to help create your characters for Storm King's Thunder. You'll be fine. Awesome. Um, now, fine. in Storm King's Thunder, there are, there are some new monsters that will appear. Uh, there, there are actually some classic realms monsters brought into the story. Um, 
some you probably wouldn't expect. Oh, great. Uh, How am I supposed to prepare for that? So uh, Expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll spoil one of them. Um, yak folk. Yak folk? Yak folk. Yakaria, they're called. Uh, they originally, they, they've appeared in many editions in many places. They're probably best known as appearing in the Al-Qadim setting. Oh. Uh, but they actually have a very prominent role to play in one of the chapters of this story. Interesting. Um, I think so, I know which giant so type have, might be. Uh... We've updated the yak folk. Um, and then we had uh, just a weird bit. We had a hole in the, append- in the creature's appendix, uh, and we didn't know what to fill it with. So we just picked up uh, the tressim, which are winged cats, <gasps> winged kitty cats. Oh, dear. <laughs> And uh, we threw them in That's and then horrifying. wrote them into the adventure. Good. I love that. I love the little things about publishing that happen. You're like, oh, we've yeah. got, you know, three yeah. or four inches worth of material. It's exactly. perfect for a monster. Perfect for and a then, winged cat. Yeah. 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 Winged cat. Yes. How big are they? Uh, they're actually, they just look like house cats with wings. Oh, oh okay. So they're smaller yeah. than yeah. they're. Yep. Just what every house cat needs. Exactly. Wings. Yes. What uh, uh, CR are they? Oh, they're low. They're, they're low. They're okay. low. Um, but uh, so they come in swarms, kind of. Uh, you can you can get them in packs. Yeah. Just like cats come in packs sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but they, they have case. they have interesting story bits. Uh, they have some interesting traits, like the ability to uh, sniff and detect poison, mm. which comes in handy. Oh, I um, can see some uh, some yeah. wizards wanting the familiar. Exactly, and you have the option of choosing them as a familiar. <gasps> oh, that's nice. totally going to be my character in Storm yeah. King's Thunder. So, and then the other thing we crammed in uh, to the appendices because we had a hole to fill were uh, uh, new giant tactics. Things that you can add to a giant stat block that they couldn't do before, like fling. And uh, they're like uh, the hill fling. giants. Hill giants have a tactic where they can basically belly flop on top of you. Oh, <laughs> that's nice that you gave that to them. Yeah, every giant, every giant has one or two new things that you can give them or add to their stat blocks. You don't have to add them to every giant. But they're just fun things that you can use to spruce up giants. Because you're going to be fighting a lot of giants in Storm King's Thunder. Is this fling? Fling Fling is when you pick somebody up and you hurl them through the air. Um, So one thing we didn't didn't touch on was uh, uh, the uh, rune items, the magic rune items that you're able to get uh, uh, through the course of the adventure. Yes. We we sent out a playtest version of the rune magic system as an Unearthed Arcana article. And what that evolved into was a series of new magic items that can be found in the adventure and that thematically resonate with the sort of themes of the adventure and giants. And they're tied to this idea that giants, being one of the oldest races in the world, mastered this ability to inscribe magical alphabetic letters uh, of their own design onto objects to empower them with magic. And the idea that you can transfer uh, sort of a ruin from one item to another uh, Wait, did it, you say ruin? It's rune, right? Rune. 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 I thought that was a Nathan Stewart uh, pronunciation yes. of ruin. Right, rune. <laughs> uh, and so what came out of it was the, a, a set of magic items that are, you can find in the course of the adventure uh, that are quite powerful and juicy um, and can help you fight giants, uh, as well as other threats you will come into contact with. Um, uh, so it's not a system of, of, of inscribing runes onto things. You're finding magic items that have yes. these runes on them yes. and uh, are powerful enough yes. to let you go toe-to-toe right. with, with giants. Um, and then uh, in that, in that uh, same magic items chapter, we have some other items as well uh, that play an important role. Uh, one of which, and this is kind of an interesting story, was uh, the Worm Skull Throne. 
which is an FR artifact that mm. has kicked around in multiple editions. And that wasn't originally in the story either. How and did that get in there? So um, when we were trying to uh, come up with titles for the story, we had an alternative title. Uh, and and the, there's a trick with titles. Uh, they have to be... They have to communicate a lot. They have to be evocative. Mm -hmm. they, they have to sound like a D&D adventure title. Yeah. Uh, and they have to be trademarkable. And so the more specific the title, the better chance it has of passing a trademark search, basically. So if it includes like a proper name like Strahd, mm -hmm. generally speaking, that will clear trademark search no problem. Right. Because um, we already own that trademark. Right. And, yeah. And there was a title that we had pitched early on that uh, had a nice sound to it, and it included the words Worm Skull Throne, mm -hmm. because we thought, we'll have no problem trademarking that. And then for whatever reason, uh, so, uh, so we, once we decided that we were going to have that title, uh, the challenge on me was to find a way to incorporate the Worm Skull Throne into the adventure, because it wasn't in. <laughs> So, <laughs> who's oh the guy God. who came up with the idea that when it wasn't even in there? Merles. Merles. <laughs> Shaking of fists. Yes. So, uh, I built it into the adventure. Uh, and the hook is basically uh, the last time we saw the Worm Skull Throne was in a second edition adventure called The Worm Skull Throne, where characters find it in the custody of this sea elf mm -hmm. um, named, I think, Crayok. Uh, and he's just a crazy sea elf. And uh, so, I hypothesized that the adventurers successfully completed that adventure and took the Worm Skull Throne and then sold it to a storm giantess. Mm -hmm. That storm giantess is Neri, uh, a queen who is the wife of the storm giant king who disappears in the adventure. And she had the throne magically enlarged for him because it's an undersea throne right. with uh, blue dragon skulls mounted to the base of it. Ooh. And so that's his symbol. That becomes a symbol of power and how he sort of keeps the other giants under control. In check, right. When he disappears, his daughters now fight over the worm, over control of the worm skull throne. And so it's a central thing of the plot. And then after I had worked it into the adventure, and I was very proud of the extent to which I did, it's we abandoned good. the title. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> because some, somebody, I don't know who, liked Storm King. We, we typically pitch multiple titles. Yeah. In the, in the belief that not all of them will be acceptable. Right. And so um, whoever decided uh, that what the title was going to be picked Storm King's Thunder and the Wormskull title throne was discarded. But it's cool that but, it ends up being yeah. still yes. like this really but it is iconic the piece. Of the and we're able to pick it up and we had a new piece of art commissioned for it and stuff like that. So it's an integral part of the story, but it never would have been in there if we had picked another title. Interesting. All right. That's cool. All right. So yeah. the, we got a couple of those little interesting tidbits of things that have, are now in the story. I like this happens. stuff. I, yeah. I love yeah. finding out yeah. the behind the scenes. There's, there's the bloopers. There are so the many, <laughs> reel, there yeah. are so many little things like that in the story. Um, uh, or it, it, there are so many little things like that have, that happened with this product specifically that I could practically write another product just about. Don't do it. <laughs> All the stories of busy. stuff that got in. Because this is this adventure is so dense. Ooh, it it is so a, packed with locations and maps and, and details about the realms and specific things and ways of getting around. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be blown away simply by the density of it. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things that um, 
this is a huge spoiler, but you know, oh. if you're if you're listening to the podcast, you deserve. If you've it gotten this far, it. yeah. If, if you've gotten <laughs> this far, so the Acquisitions Incorporated Battle Blimp. Yeah, we're all familiar with oh, that. Yeah. Yes, it was it was between Trevor and Maya's desk for a exactly. long time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it it it's one of the best set pieces we've ever created for Acquisitions Inc. Uh, that uh, contraption appears in Storm King's Thunder. <gasps> oh my gosh! Really? Yep. Wow! How cool is that? Char- characters can get their own battle blimp. And sail around the realms. Oh my god! So it's not the ad, not Acquisitions Incorporated. It's not, it doesn't have the Acquisitions Incorporated branding, but the because we couldn't that didn't pass trademark. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Omen Drawn would not allow that. But uh, they're not the only ones with that model of battle balloon. Um, awesome. So, and uh, well, that's going to be an easy way to traverse those hundred a uh, thousand miles to yes. go from place to place. Yes. Makes sense. And then uh, one of the other little tidbits in the adventure is that I pulled a lot of material in this adventure out of uh, several Dragon Magazine columns that Ed Greenwood wrote. Ooh. Ed Greenwood, of course, is the grandfather of the Forgotten Realms. Yes. And he's the alter ego of Mert and Elminster. Um, so uh, he did a series of articles in Dragon Magazine called Worms of the North, where he detailed every article was describing another dragon that lives in the Forgotten Realms. Each oh. article is basically a new dragon. Yeah. Um, so... There's a lot of information. Uh, many, there. many, many dragons appear in this adventure, and all of them originated in those columns. Very cool. Yes. All right. Well, I can't wait for uh, people to get their hands on it. Uh, it'll be August 25th uh, in game stores um, and uh, September 6th everywhere else. Uh, so please check it out. Uh, we'll be doing more lore you should know. Uh, hopefully, uh, during PAX West, you'll you're get gonna it. You're going to have to do a lore you should know about all the. the Interesting little, oh, little behind the yeah. scenes thing. Yeah, I know. Or maybe just do another episode all with all you, Chris. Characters yeah. that got got introduced into the adventure. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much uh, for for taking time out of your busy schedule, Chris, to talk to us. And hopefully, Pax West goes well. Yeah. Rock the house at ben, and Ben Royal. And the movie theaters. Now, and movie theaters. Back to writing. Back to writing. Back to your cage. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Awesome. Bye. Bye. I love talking to Chris Perkins. I we don't need, as interviewers we don't even have to like ask him any questions. He can just no. like go forever. He I know. Just makes him a good dungeon. I wasn't master. even in the room. You, I, well, you were. No, I could see you. <laughs> well, did you go? Did you leave? I You're left. Like I went to go get I some coffee. Yeah. Came back. Yeah, I did. I went and to Nordstrom was... Rack. Got some great <laughs> new shoes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing deals. Awesome. Well, he's he's just like the most fascinating human being. He really is. Yeah. I want to pick his brain like forever and ever and ever. I don't know. It's it's kind of amazing. It's just like the stuff that he knows and the creativity and just, I don't know. He's just... His dog is a lucky dog. He's a lucky dog. Milo is a lucky dog. Milo, sweet Milo. So, uh, Shelly, where can uh, people uh, give us more feedback about uh, Dragon Talk? on the iTunes, maybe perhaps with a rating or a review. Oh, that would be super. Yeah. Let us know, know how good uh, uh, you think our interviews with uh, Chris Perkins are. And if you want to just, they can just be like the Chris Perkins show at it some could. point. It yeah. Could. Yeah. That's, you're opening a door for that right there. I really am. Kathy Lee and Hoda are done. <laughs> um, He's going to host and interview himself. He can. And, he can uh, just, we can just have him talk. I love it. I would listen to and it. And he has like a nice soothing voice. He really does. He He's does. got a good voice for radio, unlike me. Which is terrible. Uh, but I wouldn't you, know. You can I tell guess. me how terrible I am. I'm at Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito there. Uh, you can tell me how terrible Greg is. <laughs> at Shelly Moo. Yes. Now. And uh, you can find out more about Dungeons & Dragons at DungeonsAndDragons.com. Mm-hmm. Look for Storm King Thunder when it comes out uh, very soon. Uh, also, Neverwinter uh, is having... 
their Storm King's Thunder story being told. Uh, it's just as Chris was saying. Just as Chris was saying. You got, they got the it partner. from the story Bible that we gave to them uh, more than a year ago. Um, and uh, it's awesome. It's out on PC now. It'll be out on Xbox soon. Check it out. Uh, it tells an ancillary story more about the, the frozen north, uh, as Chris mentioned. So Very cool. Very fun. Go yeah. download it now. All right, everybody. Okay. That's it. Next week, we'll be back with more Dragon Talk. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.